Well, good morning, church. I uh, I am genuinely excited. I have uh, that second song in the set. That's the most clapping and interaction and worship I've seen in eight years here. So, so that was awesome. Amen. Yeah. So, and, and thank you, Lorenzo, who's normally our, our expert audio video guy. He was on the drums today. Lorenzo, thank you for playing the drums. He's one of those guys that makes you just sick. He's got so much talent. He can do anything, play every instrument. And I want to also uh, give a big shout out to uh, a couple people on the front row who were not here last week because they were making their vows and making lovely, lovey-do faces at each other. As David and Joy were married last week, so congratulations to you all both. Just an amazing service, but an amazing pastor did that last week, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that was a lot, a lot of fun, so we're delighted you're here. Are you glad to be here? Say amen. amen. Absolutely. So help me out, church. We're gonna, you're going to help me finish a sentence or two. Uh, one must finish what one, the rubber meets, the sky is the... Yes, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeah, you got to know your stuff. The show must, the show must go on. That's right. The show must go on. And that phrase originated. Where did it originate? Anyone want to take a wild guess? The, the circus. Very good. The circus was in town. I don't know if you heard about this, but Stanless and Aleg were the featured act. They were the featured act. Yes, they were. And what happened is Oleg would always walk across the high wire without a net. And Stanless would balance on a leg's shoulders all the while while juggling five balls at once. But a few minutes, one night before the show was supposed to go on, <laughs> Oleg uh, called for the ringmaster. It seems that Oleg had eaten some bad sushi and had become deathly ill. And, and he said he'd have to cancel tonight's performance. And he said, you better go tell Stanless. And so uh, the ringmaster went into Stanless' room and said, I'm sorry. Tonight's show cannot happen. The performance has been canceled. And he said, what happened? He said, well, you don't have a leg to stand on. (laughs) Yeah. This is what you pay me to come up with all week, really. (laughs) It it wasn't as bad as the hole I was drowning in the waves. That that was a (laughs) groan. Miriam told the best groaner of all year on that one right there, so... So in real life, how many of you ever been to the circus? Anyone been to the circus? Yeah. The circus is dangerous, right? I mean, there's there's guys flying around, trapeze artists. You got the lions. You got the tigers. You got the bears. You got all this sort of thing going on. And the the phrase, the show must go on, I love that phrase because that that was like, hey, if tonight, if I got to bring... be the ringmaster, I'm going to do it. We're not going to let anything stop the show. Let's be that kind of people. We're, we're going to give, you know, what people came here for, we're going to give them what they came here for. No matter what happens, the show must go on. And that spirit of never say quit, we've got to adapt, right? We've got to keep going on. That never say die spirit, we're going to figure out a way to do it. That's actually a very Christian spirit, is it not? Amen? I think so. My mentor used to say to me when facing a challenge, do not easily leave when you think about that, right? Because there's oftentimes lessons when we stay. So over the long haul, leaving easily has a tendency to produce people who have a pattern of giving up. So do not easily leave. So if you're dealing with challenging situations, hear this, do not easily leave, right? Amen? 
All right, so let's not get discouraged. Let's not get jaded. Let's stay sweet. Let's stay spunky, right? Let's stay hungry. The show must go on. Could you just tell two or three people around you right now, the show must go on. Go ahead and say that right now. All right. We're going to actually spend, uh, we're going to actually hit Easter a little bit early because I've got actually, I've come up with two Easter messages. So we're going to, we're going to start Easter early. This is kind of like a soft Sunday for Easter. Uh, and there's not people here today that will be here next week that we won't see again until Christmas Eve. But that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> we're going to look at specifically at Mark 16. We're going to dive into some scripture and we're going to talk about, you know, one of the heroes of the faith and that is Mary Magdalene. So here it is from Mark 16 and a little bit of John 20. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Solomon brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on in the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will what? Roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Why is she crying? Because her Lord and Savior has died, and she thinks he's in there. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white. So she has this, you know, angelic experience and seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot, and they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she says, they've taken, what does it say, church? They've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold, take hold of me for I've not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending my father and your father and to my God and your God. So the very first person to see the risen Lord is a woman. The very first to tell others that the Lord is risen is a woman. The very first to preach in Jesus' name is a woman, woman at the well. So when people say women can't be preachers, hello? It's not even biblical. It's biblical for women to be preachers, amen? amen. All right, so don't, don't buy that nonsense. All right, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news and she says, I've seen my Lord. And she told them that she said these things. Another translation from Mark says it this way. When Jesus arose on the very first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven how many? Seven demons. <laughs> she went and told those who had been with him who were mourning and weeping. So with apologies to the circus, there had never been a greater show than this. The show, the day that... that someone defeated death and rose from the dead. And I don't know how you feel like, you know, calling it a show, because sometimes you think a show is fake, right? But if you look up the word show, the definition of the word show actually means a display or a spectacle. And Paul literally says in Scripture, when Christ arose, there was a spectacle that took place, not only on earth, but in heaven, in the corridors of eternity. It's Christ's victory over death that can give us hope no matter what we face in life. Amen? amen? This is where we get excited and we go, amen. All right. For this great show, <clears throat> I want to share with you that Mary Magdalene had a front row seat. And some of you might be thinking, well, it's just a lucky coincidence that Mary Magdalene was there. I mean, how lucky is it that she was the first one to see the risen Jesus? 
But that's just not true. And I'm going to unpack and show you today that really her showing up and being there was just the climax of a life of faithfulness to Jesus. Okay, so are you excited? Yes? Yes. And we, we want to talk about this because we want to look at her life because it's important as a leader to analyze not only failures, right? We want to analyze failures like, like okay, the NASA space shuttle blowing up. Okay, lock the doors. Everybody stay here. We got to figure out why this failed. We understand that. You want to do the forensics an autopsy of failure, but you also want to do an autopsy of success. One of the greatest things you can do as a leader is an autopsy of success because the best question is, is how do we do what was so right so that we can do more of what was so right? Amen? Right? So if your marriage is going good, you're like, what are we doing right that's working and let's keep doing it? There's just free relationship tips right here, okay? All right. So, for instance, an example of this, let's say your kid brings home the report card. How many of you never studied so hard as the day you brought home your report card? That was me. My dad would walk in the room, there I am, studying away, because the report card showed that I did not study, okay? So let's say your kid brings home the report card, and there's D's and a C and a B. Now, what do you look at right away if you're a parent? What do you look at right away? You look at the D. What's wrong here? And you go right to the D. But maybe that's not the best way. I mean, because you're going to say, we know that something's not working. But we focus and we harp on the Ds and on the Cs. But you're missing the point. There is a a B, right? So they're capable of success. So let's talk about the B, right? And dissect the B. Figure out what is happening with the B. I don't care if it's in PE. What is happening? with the B, (laughs) okay? And how do we spread what's happening to the B to the D? Do you get what I'm saying? Yes, instead of trying to bring the D up to the B. Anyway, so you gotta do an autopsy of success and not just the failures. So Mary here, I think you'll agree with me, is having a great success story. It's a great, great moment. She actually has an angel encounter. She runs into two angels at the tomb and Jesus. But how did she get there? Because when we first meet Mary Magdalene, Back in the Bible, back in Luke chapter 8, if you want to go back there, she had seven demons. That's a biblical way of saying she's really messed up. Jerry Springer, I mean, Dr. Phil, all that rolled into one. Are you getting me okay? The Bible says, Mary Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. Now, I don't care how many you count. After three, seven's a lot, right? Amen? I mean, this girl was an unholy holiday inn for sure, Okay. Let's get this right, okay? But she got... (laughs) Sorry, I just, you know, that's what I do all week. Anyway, she got changed by Jesus. And Mary, now here's the cool thing about Mary. She had a posse of other ladies that were with her and supported Jesus. The first time ever a rabbi had a group of women who hung out with him and supported him. Scripture tells us Mary also had Joanna, the wife of Chosa. Who's that? Who knows who that is? That is actually Herod's overseer or steward, and then Susanna. But they weren't alone. And these women support Jesus throughout his whole three-year ministry. If you want to read about them, go to the Gospel of Luke. Because the Gospel of Luke is called the Gospel of Womanhood. Okay? Because he brings so often to our attention, the amazing rocking women who supported Jesus. Amen? All right, so this is really, really cool. So 
Anyhow, for her, Mary begins in Luke chapter 8. Her life is at rock bottom. The first time she shows up in the Bible, she's in need of healing. She's full of demons. But she goes from the demons to the angels. And that's Mary's story. Now, trust me, you can go from angels to demons too. And I'll give you an example of this. This happened with my bride this last week. I'm going to tell you a true story. So last, last week, I live, I live just three minutes from the church, and I live on the back of the Oso in the crossing of the King, and my backyard faces 220 acres of the Oso, and I love it. It's a great view. It's one of the reasons I bought my house there. Now, it's a beautiful view, but last week, I'm going to show you a picture. We had a little fire. Let's show that picture. We had a little fire in the Oso. So the closest street to the Oso is my street, okay? So we have five fire trucks show up, and they're filling up their little, they got these little, like, F-150s glorified with big water tanks, and they're going to go out in the Oso because it's hard to get out there, 220 acres. There's no fire hydrant out there. So there's five fire trucks, and all these fire truck guys, and they're all changing clothes, and they're putting on their shirts, and they're scrapping up those big hoses. And Renee's like, all of a sudden, very interested <laughs> in the fire department of Corpus Christi. She's out there setting up a lemonade stand in the front door. <laughs> she's, she's passing out protein bars and stuff. I come out like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm trying to support our firefighters. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I'm like, are you coming back in the house tonight? <laughs> So she comes back in. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I swear to God. She, so she comes back in the house and she's like, well, I got to tell you something. <laughs> There's some good looking firemen in our department over there. I mean, I said, really? What about me? Now, let me tell you something. I've been married almost 27 years for a night. Guys, do not ever ask your woman when she says some guy's good looking. What about me? That is not the right question now. She says, I'm not making this up, but she hates me for putting this in service. She told me not to. I'm probably not going to be even welcome at my house this afternoon. She said, well, Reverend, they make calendars with firemen on them, not preachers. <laughs> so I'm going to make a calendar for any pastors out there. I'll be the month of May. That's my birthday. We'll pose with our Bibles. <laughs> it's going to be a bestseller, right? Holy people of the... Oh, forget it. Dude. I told her, I said, those guys, all they do is work out all day and wait for a fire. I have to go to work. Anyway, so she went right to the demons. There she goes. So I'm hoping my wife will come back. I don't know. She's probably over at the fire department right now. Is she still here? Oh, you're still here. Okay, good. All right, back to Mary Magdalene, right? I'm sorry I have to take the detour, and I'm probably not going to be well. If I can stay at your house tonight, let me know. Okay. All right, how did Mary Magdalene go from demons to angels? Okay, let's do an autopsy of success. First thing she showed is she showed gratitude. She showed gratitude. That's number one. There's going to be seven because there's seven, seven demons. How many of you wish you only had two demons, right? How much shorter sermon? Uh, forget it. Anyway. Uh, anyway. She showed gratitude, and, and you would too. If you had seven demons, if your life was really messed up and God touches your life and God changes your life, 
you would have gratitude too. Amen? All right. And again, when, it, when the scripture says she had seven demons, it's not like we could name them. Like there's, you know, there's Fred and there's, you know, there's not like that. That's just a, seven is a word in scripture for complete, like seven days in the week, seven, you know, seven colors of the rainbow, seven notes in the musical scale. It's just she was completely given over to darkness. That's what it's saying. Do you understand that? Yes. Okay. So she's fully given over. The Bible says the devil is a thief and he is the father of all lies and she's believing the lies and Jesus sought her and Jesus healed her and he brought meaning to her life and he brought hope to her life and so she she shows gratitude because he changed everything about her life if you've ever met somebody who was once an addict and now they're in recovery and now they're completely grateful for the 12-step program and they give back to the program this is what I'm talking about okay she's completely a different person And she was grateful. And I'll tell you this about gratefulness. Grateful people will always pivot and seek to be a blessing because they've received a blessing. Okay? Gratitude is never silent. Gratitude is never invisible. It's not like, well, you don't know my heart. I'm very grateful inside. You don't know. No, no. If you're grateful, you will speak up. If you're grateful, you will show up. If you're grateful, you will stand up. She didn't just say thanks to Jesus. She said, how can I help? What can I do? What needs to happen, Jesus? And she said, you know what? It's not free to get the gospel out. You You need resources. Great. I've got gifts. I've got blessings. I've got resources. You gave me salvation. I've got money. I'm going to share that. I couldn't save myself, so I'm going to help save other people. I want people to be touched like I've been touched. That's gratitude in action. Amen? All right. So, and we're at a, really, if you look at incidents of gratitude, I love looking at examples of gratitude. If you look at, we are 52 years since we landed someone on the moon as a nation. And I know it's a controversial thing, and there's people uh, more than ever that don't believe we landed people on the moon. There's a lot of conspiracies about this. And I know there's a lot of people that don't even believe there's a moon and stuff like this. I mean, and coincidentally not, uh, the, the rate of people purchasing uh, edibles and consuming edibles is also going up. I don't know if it's correlational. Anyhow, um, but 52 years ago, think about that. For the first time in human history, uh, someone stepped uh, on the moon. And what I love about that, what I love about that is that when people get together and they outrageously pursue a collective mission, things can get accomplished. But I also love that when Neil Armstrong, for the first time, took that step on the moon, he had in his pocket a piece of the airplane wing from the Wright brothers plane. Isn't that cool? That's such cool. Now you think about that for a second because 66 years before that moon landing took place, Wilbur and Orville Wright, December 17th in 1903, flew their plane for the very first time and they made it 120 feet. That flight lasted a 12 seconds, but it was history altering as those two bicycle makers who had no business, they were preacher's kids and their dad told them to quit messing around with airplanes, who had no business beating all the avionic experts who were mostly in Europe. They had no business doing what they did, but they defied the odds and man flew for the first time. And then 66 years later, we went from a 120 foot flight uh, to a quarter of a million mile voyage to the moon. 
never flown before in all of history, and only 66 years later, we go from flying for the first time to flying, you know, 238,000 miles. And when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon with a piece of the wing of the airplane in his pocket, he was saying humbly, the only reason I'm here is because what came before us, and that was gratitude. And here's really what's cool, and I just read this article, you know, when I wrote this, it was like, you know, a week ago, and then this last week on Friday, they said the Mars rover that landed on Mars also has a piece of the airplane wing from the Wright brothers. How cool is that? But that's gratitude, right? That we, we just didn't arrive. There are people that we kind of step on their shoulders, and that's true in terms of faith, right? So when Mary showed up, when Mary showed up at the tomb with spices, she was being grateful because when she showed up the tomb to prepare Jesus' body with spices, spices are not free. She shows up at the tomb and her arms, her arms are full of the most expensive thing she could buy, spices, okay? And she's like, I'm going to do more. I know Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus hastily wrapped Jesus' body up, but he's going to get wrapped better than that. And Mary spent the whole Sabbath day scheming and planning of how she could give even more to Jesus, even in his death. And early in the morning, despite the risk, she shows up with those spices with more on her hands. Why? Because she is grateful. And we could see it all her life. Second thing, she showed resilience. She showed resilience. The show must go on. Let me say it this way. What would you rather be, church? And this is where you interact and respond, okay? What would you rather be, the rock or the river? Which one? You want to be the river. Absolutely, you want to be the river. Because the rock's victory against the river is only temporary. Amen? Mary was like a river, not a rock. Going through something like she went through, she was demon-possessed. She was at her darkest. She was completely given over to it. Um, It is easy to be, you know, go through a, a time of darkness, a time of grief, or any time like that, and to get stuck there, right? I have a friend of mine. He lost his wife 25 years ago. If you talk to him about it, it's like she died just a minute ago. And I'm not saying that, that's, that, that grief is not terrible and tragic. I understand. I teach courses on it. But at some point, right, I mean, I know I have another friend, and he's like, well, you know, I used to have a drinking problem. I used to really be a drunk. I used to drink. Boy, I used to put down so many beers, and then I chased it with more tequila. And he just talks all the time about what an alcoholic and all this raging alcoholic stories. And the whole time he's telling me this, he just won't ever shut up about it. Eventually, I'm like, I need a drink. I mean, I've been around people who have been through something difficult, but it's like they can't ever get over it. Like they're stuck in it. That's in psychology called, you know, like I'm at A, I need to get to B, and I'm stuck, and I'm stuck, and I'm stuck. And they're like in a loop, and they're constantly replaying the hurts and replaying the hard times. And it's like you never knew that God brought them through something because it's almost like they're still stuck on that thing, right? Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying, church? Yes. I mean, if God gives me the revelation that he heals my limp, I'm not going to pretend I still have a limp. I'm not going to be defined for it. So I want to be like Mary Magdalene. Yeah, she was completely given over to the devil. But, but you know what? Being around her, it, there was a sweetness. 
There's a brightness, there's an optimism. You're not snarky. You're not defined by the hard things you've been through. You, you've been driven to seek other people who are going through that difficult, hard time so that you can bring them through too, okay? So, and I like this. You can actually see this throughout Scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They went into the fiery furnace, right? But in fact, if you look at the Bible in their story, it says they came out of their trial and they didn't even smell like smoke. I get near a campfire, I smell like smoke, right? And you wash your hair four times, it still smells like smoke. But you could be around them, and the, and the Scripture says you could not smell the smokiness of their trial. I love that, right? May God help us not to be people who go around with a chip on our shoulder, who just want to say, well, you know, uh, three years ago this happened to me, and, uh, you know, that's all I'm about now. And you're like, well, have you moved on? Has God brought Oh, yeah, God brought me through it, but you couldn't tell. You know, that was not Mary Magdalene. She did not have a victim mentality. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you cannot be a victim and a victor at the same time. And this woman was more than a conqueror. God has never given up on you, so who are you to give up on you? Hello? I'm not sure this mic's working. You know, the word, again, you see this all through Scripture, the word Moses means drawn out. He got his name because he was drawn out of the river, okay? That's what it literally means, okay? He went through such a hard upbringing, Moses did, that even as a baby, the safest thing his parents could do for him, now you think about this as a parent, the safest thing his parents could do for him was to put him in a crocodile-infested river in a basket. They had a lot of choices. That was their safest choice. And he was raised in the home of someone who tried to kill him. He had to call his mother nurse a nanny. And the daughter of a person who wanted to kill him more than anybody was who he called mom. This is a very expensive therapy bill is what we're talking about here. But the name Moses, he walked forward with the rest of his life was drawn out. My question to you is, are you allowing your name to be put in. He didn't take his name from, I had to be put in the river. He'd taken his name from, I had been drawn out of the river. So you've been through some hard things. But heaven help us to be a people who we call ourselves redeemed, called out, drawn out, saved, called love. Let's not be people who say, I, I'm called forgotten, or I was called neglected, or I'm called molested, or I'm called abandoned, or I'm called divorced. I'm saying let's not take our identity from what we've been through, but who we've been called to. Amen? All right? Sermon in a sentence. Treasures actually lie hidden in trials. You can find treasures in trials, but nobody wants trials. You grow the most spiritually when you're going through difficult times, but nobody says, Lord, send me through difficult times. Mary found the treasure of who she could be in overcoming the trials of her past. And that's what she was. She was resilient. And I also see that she showed her work. How many of you hated it when teachers said, you got to show your work? Always in math class. There I was, Adam Chapman. Come on, Adam. Move your elbow so I can pass. I need to cheat. <laughs> Thank God for Adam Chapman. If it wasn't ever Adam Chapman, I would not have passed geometry. And it's a different Adam Chapman than the one you're thinking of in our church. I don't know how he did in geometry. Adam, were you good in geometry? I would have cheated off you too. Okay, there you go. She showed her work. What's the answer? 43. Show your work. How'd you come up with it? Well, I came up with it because of Adam. That was never a good answer in class, right? 
but you, you want to see my scratch paper? That's a problem. I don't have any scratches. Uh, Mary showed her work. In fact, she showed up at work, and that's what allowed her to shine so bright. A little bit about her that's really important. Uh, Magdalene was not her last name, okay? And that's probably to a lot of people's confusion. They, they think Mary Magdalene. They're like, oh, Mary Magdalene, that's her last name. A lot of times that happens, but in the Bible, they had a different culture. It's only recently we've started having last names. Like Jesus, I run into this all, all the time. His last name wasn't Christ. <laughs> it's not like there was a Mary Christ and a Joseph Christ, and they had a baby, and his name was Jesus Christ, okay? Okay. <laughs> Christ is his title, like Messiah, anointed one. It's like doctor or governor, okay? Mary Magdalene, Magdalene just means Mary was from Magdala, okay? Magdala was just a city, just a few miles from Capernaum. It was a wealthy city, an affluent city. And their primary export, and stay with me now, because this is actually how she shows her work. Their primary contribution to the economy was was dyes and textiles, and so it was a garment district. In other words, if you wanted some swag clothes and some swag outfits, you'd cruise by Magdala, okay? Are you with me, church? Yes? So Mary Versace is obviously a big part of this community because she's not just called Mary Magdalene. In many parts of the gospel, she's called Mary the Magdalene. And scholars say that she became synonymous with the exports of this city. In other words, she was known for the success and affluence of Magdala that made it a posh place to live, okay? So this is not Leopard Street, okay? This is Ocean Drive, okay? This is Beverly Hills, right? Mary lived and worked on Ocean Drive. So Mary, the Magdalene, which is probably not how you pictured her before because she's like had seven demons, right? But because when you think of someone who's got seven demons, you think of someone who's under the bridge, jonesing for heroin, You don't think of someone in the penthouse. But the reality is both of them need Jesus. And here she is, you know, not not wondering where her next meal is going to come from. She she was living large. She was a, a clothing dealer. And in that condition, though, she was still full of darkness. We tend to think of people that uh who make it or who have made it in terms of like they're immune to something that we all need. But the truth is, many times people get on top of ladders like this, only to discover that they put their ladder against the wrong wall. Hello? So she was very successful, even though she was given over to darkness. And she had everything in the world that she seemingly wanted, but it was not what she actually needed. Okay, does that make sense? So there she is with her success, worshiping money, worshiping herself, giving over to sin. Her life is very darkness. Now all of a sudden she's saved, and those things that made her powerful and bright in the light, she's actually able to use those resources now to subsidize and finance and support Jesus' ministry. In other words, she sold swag clothes at one time to support the darkness. Now she sells swag clothes to support Jesus. Are you with me? So she is showing her work. She showed up at work, and now she's able to show her work for the kingdom of God. And she also showed up and showed a way for others. She showed the way for others what she had done herself. She shows up 14 times in Scripture, and eight of those times, it's in connection with her posse, with other women. She never, like, women don't go to the bathroom alone. Mary never went alone. 
Same thing, okay? She always had a posse. Why? Because she was influential. She was a born leader. She was magnetic. She was charismatic. When you got around her, you wanted to be with her. She was one of those people. She had that ability. She was high on the woo factor. You ever done a woo factor and see how high she is? Some of you are like, what does that mean? Anyway, do a personality test. Anyhow, how does Mary wear her clothes? We want to wear her clothes like Mary. Uh, she was a trendsetter. She was influential. And those things that were once used in a dark way when she was controlled by the devil, mm, different now. Now that Jesus has the wheel of her life, she's using those things to serve Jesus together. Are you with me, church? Say amen. amen. All right. Okay. So Mary was always organizing the crew. Doesn't matter where we're going. Let's follow Mary. She's going to church. I'm not going alone. Mary's watching on YouTube. We're going to watch on YouTube, right? Mary's got a lot of Twitter followers, okay? You're with me? All right. Now, one tiny example of this, because you're saying, well, how do you know this? Well, there's an example of this. There, we were listed that Joanna is the wife of Chosa. Who's Chosa? Well, that's Herod's steward. Are you still with me? Say amen. Because we're going to go, we're, this is where Renee says, you're going to lose people. I'm like, get back to the fireman, okay? Get away. <laughs> Anyhow, this is Herod Stewart. Herod, who's Herod? Well, Herod is always the king. This specific Herod was Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great, who was, when Jesus was born, the same king that tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby, Moses-style, and his son Antipas, who's right now currently the king, whose steward's name was Chusa, is the same Herod who had, of case, John the Baptist's head cut off, Jesus' cousin. That's a lot to unpack. But basically, the steward of, of Herod's is managing his real estate portfolio. He was, he was the steward of the king, was, took care of things for him, right? So the steward of the king, would you think that'd be a pretty good paid position? Yes. A highly placed individual? Yes. Well, that steward, his wife, is a Jesus follower. So follow the money, people. Follow the money. Okay? All the money coming from Herod gets funneled through Joanna. She's making generous donations to Jesus' ministry. So here's the point of all this. Oh, my gosh. Stay with me. The point is the king who cut off John the Baptist's head is actually helping pay for Jesus' ministry all around the nation through this woman, Joanna. How cool is that? The devil is paying for Jesus' ministry. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Next, she showed courage. Courage, Mary showed courage to show her face at the cross. When Jesus died, we don't read about Peter being at the cross. We don't read about Jude, another disciple, or Matthew being at the cross. We don't read about Thomas. I mean, I, I doubt Thomas showed up. It still wasn't as bad as your grower. I'm sorry. <laughs> In fact, there's only one disciple that showed up at the cross. There's only one male disciple that showed up at the cross. There was female disciples, and that is John, the one who called himself the beloved, loved by Jesus. Then the scripture says, then she came and ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That was John's nickname for himself, the one whom Jesus loved. Which, by the way, I encourage you to steal right away. Who are you? You're someone who's loved by Jesus. John so internalized Jesus' love that whenever he talked about himself, he was like, I'm someone who's loved by Jesus. What's your name? I'm someone who's loved by Jesus. Could there be a more powerful way to let your life be summed up 
then I am someone who Jesus loves. It's powerful. And what's your story? I'm loved by Jesus. What else? Well, I don't know a lot about, but I know that Jesus loves me. What's the most important thing about me? Well, Jesus loves me. And I think that preaches pretty powerfully that the one who was marked by love is the one who shows up at the cross. Amen? But Mary was there. Mary was there with her cast of women, and they were there. And, of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And why was it so dangerous for them to be at the cross? Well, the disciples were locked in an upper room because they thought they were going to be rounded up next and put to death like Jesus, okay, because they were accomplices of Jesus. But Mary here is, is not fearless, but she had courage. And I'm telling you, fear is not the opposite of faith, right? In fact, I think fear is an occasion for faith. Smack dab in the middle of your fear is an opportunity for faith to show up. And I would actually take it even stronger and say that without fear, how can there be the presence of faith? Because if we understood everything, if we saw everything, if there was no obstacles, if there's no pushback to you serving God, if there's no difficulty, there's no hardship, if it all made sense, then why would you actually need faith? Why would you need God? Mary showed courage to be there. And the sixth uh, is she showed emotion. Emotion. She was a strong leader, a CEO type. She was an alpha female, right? But she was also very willing to be in touch with her emotion. She was someone very willing to be vulnerable, very willing to be weak. She was so strong on, the other, on one hand, yet she was also willing to cry publicly, willing to admit she was hurting. Can you be that strong, but also at the same time be weak and admit you're vulnerable, admit you're real, admit things are going down? She's emotionally connected. Amen? And this is the seventh. I know you're excited. We're at the seventh. Yay! <laughs> The seventh thing is she showed her true colors. Crisis shows your true colors, right? Going through hardship, going through a storm doesn't always change who you are. It shows who you really are, okay? It exposes what's really going on. And Mary, the worst day of her life, when the person she had loved and given her life over to is brutally murdered in front of her, she shows at her core that she's a disciple of Jesus. Take the money away, great. I'm still there at the cross. Take my connections away. Mary says, great, I'm still at the cross. Take my life away. Great, I'm still here at the cross. Put me on the cross next. That's fine. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here for Jesus. He changed my life. She shows gratitude. She shows up at the cross. And she found her treasure, Jesus, in her trials. And her trials are not going to take away her Jesus. Amen? And I'm going to give, and, and why? Why do we know this? Where does power like that come from? Two words that Mary says, my Lord. She said to the disciples, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they put him, my Lord. Who is Jesus to you? It's the most important question you'll ever answer. Who's Jesus to you? She didn't say they've taken away the Lord. She said, my Lord. And that possessive pronoun has the capacity to change everything for you. He's my Lord. Not just your Lord, but he's my Lord. When he's your Lord, you know the sound of his voice. And we're told Mary that she thought he was the gardener, right? And when Mary finally meets Jesus that day, 
front row seat, it all becomes full circle. She meets Jesus who saved her and changed her, and we're told she was crying outside of the tomb, and she's crying. The disciples had gone away. Peter had gone away. John had gone away, but Mary stood at the tomb weeping. She was the last one. Where else is she going to go? And she's like, I got spices still. I'm not going anywhere. I bought these spices. And Jesus says, who are you seeking? She turns thinking he's the gardener. And she goes, where did you put him? The funeral tender, the caretaker, where did you put him? Did you move him to a different grave? Tell me, I'll take care of it. Now, here's what we need to know about this. The Jews wrapped and embalmed their dead um, in half of the body weight in spices. So you take your body weight and half of that would be how many spices they brought to the table. That's very expensive. So let's assume Jesus weighed 150 pounds. We're talking about a 225-pound mummy here. And she says, yes, tell me where he is. I'll take care of it. 225 pounds, she's going to take care of it. I don't doubt her a bit. Do you? I don't. I mean, I don't know why she was worried about the stone, because she's got other women with her, right? How are we going to move the stone? She's like, Mary, Mary. Mary's like, I got nails. I got nails. And Joanna, you got those fake eyelashes. You can blow that stone right out of the way. That was a joke. But I just love, if you look at this, I just love the mama bear that comes out of her. She says to Jesus, where'd you put him? He says, Mary. He says her name. Do you know that there's something in psychology called the cocktail effect? The cocktail effect is that you can hear your name at 30% lower decibels in a room full of people than you hear any other word. You can hear your name. Which means don't talk about people at cocktail parties, okay? Because they can hear you. But she knows when Jesus says her name, Mary. Mary. It's nothing more powerful in your life than when you hear God call your name. In John 20, 10, 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. What could be more important than tuning our ears to the sound of our shepherd's voice? She showed courage. She showed resilience. She showed the way. She showed gratitude. And she showed, and she showed, and she showed. Let's summarize it this way. She showed up, right? The devil tried to throw Mary to the dragons. She came back riding one. For sure. Why did she get a front row seat on this day? Because she was there. She was there. And that's the story of Mary's life. She showed up. She showed up to finance. She showed up to support. She showed up to help. She showed up to pray. And she showed up to lead and to influence. And she showed up. And she knew what you and I need to know, that the show must go on. So she was definitely the river, not the rock. She had a piece of that airplane in her pocket. She knew treasures that lie hidden in the trials. And this spectacle, the show, the salvation, the message of the kingdom, it must go on. It must not quit. It, it must keep going. We must not get discouraged. She actually paid to support a dream. And someone who pays to support a dream is actually called an angel investor. Okay. Now, an angel steps in, and that's how the company is able to do. This church has angel investors, people that give more than you. <laughs> I say that safely, okay? And angel investors in the church keep the show going. Why? Why did Mary get an angel encounter? Because she lived her life as an angel investor. And I think even, now I'm not just making this term up. Angel investor. Angel investor is a term. It didn't come from the Silicon Valley. It actually came from New York City and Broadway. 
angel investor. It is when someone says, hey, I really want this play to be on Broadway, and they introduce the play, and they have the cast, and it's not selling many tickets, and nobody's coming to the show. And so an angel investor would step forward and say, I'll pay for the tickets, and I'll pay for the show so that the show will go on. And that was Mary. That was who Mary was. Mary was someone who invested in the story, the story of redemption, the story of salvation, the story continuing to be told. Because what made Mary stick and will always be the strength of her church is the belief in the story of Jesus and that's continuing to go on and that Jesus is risen from the dead. Amen? Yes. And he's here in you and me, in the life of this church, in things that are happening. So if Easter is the greatest show, then that's Jesus' job. Our job is to be like Mary, to be grateful, to be resilient, to be courageous, to show our work, to be angels, investors, and to tell others about Jesus. The show must go on, and thankfully it will next week, thanks to Mary and you, when we'll be here with some other people who we've never seen before, except for last Christmas Eve. But we'll smile and say, welcome to Grace, won't we? And I'll try not to make fun of the submarine Christians who show up and surface on Christmas and Easter. The submarine Christians, yes. You've been hiding under the surface? No, we're grateful they come. And I'm grateful that there are angel investors in this church. Amen? Because the show must? Amen. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this wonderful story and witness of the life of Mary Magdalene. We give thanks that she's the first woman to tell others about the risen Lord. She's the first to see the risen Lord. She's the first to preach and tell others about Jesus. We give thanks. And that's what makes it so believable, God, that this Bible, which was written in patriarchal times, has a woman starring as the role. And you know that these men who wrote these words inspired by the Holy Spirit did not want to write those words, but they did because it's the truth. And the truth will prevail and the truth will set us free. The show will go on because Jesus is raised from the dead. And we give thanks for that. And God, I give thanks for this powerful woman, this alpha female whom you turned her life around from seven demons to an angel encounter, from seven demons to seeing our risen Lord, from seven demons to showing courage and resilience. She is the river, not the rock. Lord, help us to have that sort of faith, to believe as she believed, to be an angel investor, to be someone who makes sure that the ministry of Jesus Christ and the word continues to get out in our very lives in what we do and what we say. We pray this in the name of the risen Lord, who taught us as we say now together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.